Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I'm writing this when I probably should be getting dressed to go outside and shovel. It's not a task that I really mind except for the number of layers it requires to keep warm when I get started. So instead, I'll pretend I'm in sunny Italy with our hero Aeneas and his merry band of Trojan refugees. We are up to book eight of the Aeneid, and as a reminder, I am working from the Fitzgerald translation. When we last left our heroes, a war had begun. Not because any of them really wanted it, because Juno wants it. She is the one, after all, who literally opens the doors of war at the end of book seven. Okay, not technically at the end of book seven. The end of book seven is the catalog of warriors, but that doesn't do much to further the plot, so we'll call Juno opening the doors the end of the the first end, let's say, of book seven, not to be confused with the real end of book seven. Anyway, we're done with book seven, and today we are talking about book eight. In response to Juno opening the doors, Turnus raises his war flag and assembles his army, including reaching out to Diomedes, who has settled in Italy, for his support. Turnus believes that whichever way Diomedes goes, so will go the war. The Tiber is troubled by this. Yes, the Tiber as in the river that runs through Rome. It appears to Aeneas in a dream and holds a bit of a pep rally to assure our hero that he really has landed in the right place and then gives directions on how to find the exact location where he should found his city. Aeneas wakes up and does as he is told. He gathers some of his men and sails farther up the river until they find a snow-white sow and her suckling piglets, just as the Tiber had told Aeneas in his dream. So Aeneas sacrifices the sow and her piglets to Juno, and if you think she'll be appeased by that, well, I'll just remind you that there are 12 books in this epic, and we are only in book eight. The Tiber then smooths out, turning into a swamp and much easier rowing, and the men sail a bit further on until they come to the future site of Rome, a place currently occupied by Evander, but not much to write home about. Now, it just so happens that Evander and his people are in the midst of their great festival in honor of Hercules, and some other gods, but they aren't as important as Hercules. Evander's son, Pallas, goes to greet the strangers. Aeneas declares that he's come in peace and is seeking an ally. Pallas invites the Trojans to join them, which they do. Aeneas introduces himself to Evander, going into great detail on his ancestry to show that they are actually distant cousins through the Titan Atlas. As they feast, Evander tells the story of Cacus and Heracles. Sorry, Hercules, this is Roman, not Greek. So used to talking about Heracles in the Greek myth episodes. So, but the story of Cacus and Hercules, which is the very reason for this festival. Here's what happened. After Hercules kills Geryon in Spain, he drives Geryon's cattle to Greece, passing through Italy on the way. In Italy, Cacus steals eight of the cows, so Hercules tracks them down and kills Cacus, and that is how this festival started. After telling that story, Evander gives Aeneas a guided tour that just so happens to include multiple sites that still existed in Virgil's time crazy i know they check out some hills and a big cattle market that would make an awesome forum one day and then night falls so they all go to bed meanwhile back on olympus venus bats her eyes at vulcan and asks him 
ever so sweetly to make some armor for her son. Vulcan flies to his forge and sets the Cyclops, the ancient ones, not the ones on Polyphemus's island, to work. We get a detailed description, although not nearly as long as when Achilles' armor is described in the Iliad. When morning comes, Evander tells Aeneas that he knows just who the Trojans should ally with and recommends he join with the Etruscans, who are already on the verge of war. He himself is too old to go fight these days, but his son Pallas will go in his stead. A mighty crack of thunder and a red light appear in the sky. Aeneas knows that it's his mom giving her stamp of approval. He tells Evander as much, adding that this is just her sending down some armor she had made for him by the gods. Like you do. Evander and those left behind pray and cry while Aeneas and his new allies march away. After meeting up with the Etruscans, who are, indeed, most happy to join the fray, Aeneas and his now much larger army make camp. Venus, as promised, comes down from Olympus to hand-deliver Aeneas's new armor, leading Virgil to go on a bit of a digression, as in pages long, into the history of Rome as it is depicted on Aeneas's shield. Remember when we covered the little mini-epic, The Shield of Heracles? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Or possibly like Homer's description of Achilles' shield. Again, crazy, I know, can't imagine where Virgil got the idea. And book eight ends with Aeneas looking at this wonderful shield and all of the pictures on it before he puts the shield on his shoulder, lest taking on the destiny the shield depicts. (laughs) Symbolism much? I know, I know, I said I'd try not to compare Virgil to Homer. They lived in very different worlds. Homer's acapics are from an oral tradition, and Virgil's are from a written tradition. But it's just so hard. Especially when we have things like that whole tangent on Caucus and Hercules. You know what that's about? Civilization. It's totally Odysseus and Polyphemus. Only in Italy, and everyone has two eyes, and their cows instead of sheep, and Caucus doesn't survive the encounter. But other than all of the major details, it's the same basic story. And then there's the whole shield thing. In these ancient myths, we see two goddesses with mortal sons, Thetis and Venus. Thetis gets some godly armor for Achilles, and Venus does the same for Aeneas. And we can't just talk about armor that's made by a god without providing vast quantities of detail. Daenerys's armor is pretty awesome because it shows the future. Virgil's past, but Aeneas's future. But this does raise the question, that perpetual question about the Aeneid. Is this propaganda or not? Is Virgil an optimist or a pessimist about the state of Rome? What do you think? Are you with the Harvard School of Pessimism, or are you on the side of this is total propaganda, or maybe somewhere in between? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Same for my Patreon, or you can just look me up there as triumvirclio. In the next episode, we will finish book two of the Bibliotheca, uh, which would be book two, chapter eight. Talk to you then.
You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.